my middle schoolers at? All right. Oh, yes. Got my cheering section right here in the front. It's going to be a good service. Hey, happy Palm Sunday. Everyone got their palm front? No? Just me. Yes. The reason we don't give these out, last night I was at my niece's baptism and they were doing a Palm Sunday service. And the reason we don't give this out was quickly evident as my older brother was constantly being <laughs> barraged by a palm frond in the back of his head. But it is Palm Sunday, and um, we are continuing our series. I am Caleb Klinger. I'm the student director here at Westside, and it is my pleasure. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's the first time I've gotten applause when I introduce myself. Excellent. All right. Um, and as the student director here, we are so just in- incredibly excited for our middle schoolers, our high schoolers. We are, uh, you know, on mission to help them discover their identity in Jesus and, and equip them to reach their God-given potential. And I'm so uh, happy to see so many of my students every week, so many of my students serving a- in the church and just giving their time, their effort, and their energy to what God is doing here at Westside. And so I am so thankful for my students and so thankful for today, the opportunity to come and present um, just this next uh, a, next installment of the storyteller as we are looking at stories and we're looking at the stories that Jesus told in his ministry. So we uh, are engaged in a series that we're calling One, uh, but it's One KC. It's with churches all over Kansas City and the world. As we look at Jesus's ministry and specifically the storytelling aspect of his ministry and stories are are really cool things that uh, connect us to uh, what whatever it is that is in our lives. Stories are the vehicle that that takes us to understand ideas and concepts and truth and and values. These things that are much bigger or much more uh existential. They, they help us connect to them in a tangible way. Stories are, are fundamental to human nature. In fact, uh, psychologists and, and scientists have discovered that even mundane objects that we interact with, in order to create memories, our brains create a narrative. They create a story that connects us to those things. So we understand that stories are important, stories are fundamental, and stories help us remember and think about things. And so as we look at Jesus' ministry that's captured in the Gospels, we see that over 30 times he told these unique stories that we call parables in his, in his teaching. And there are ways that he connected people to bigger truths. That's our series big idea is that Jesus told stories that are keys to the kingdom of God. Jesus told these stories so that he could take these concepts of what the kingdom of God was about and help us to understand them, help us to come to a a better understanding of what the kingdom of God is and and who are the people that are in the kingdom of God and, and how the kingdom of God operates, the hierarchy of the kingdom of God, what its mission is, and what the people that are engaged with the kingdom of God should know. He told stories so that people would know and understand God's heart. And understanding or, or knowing someone's heart or their motive is, is very important because it helps us prevent uh, from making prejudgments or assumptions against people. And, and unfortunately, that's the natural state of things, I think, that we see something or we observe something and we automatically come to an opinion or a judgment of what we see, what we observe. 
that we are, are so quick to judge something based on what we see without fully understanding the why behind it. I, I think it's interesting that as we get older, it seems like we ask that question less and less. Now, I have almost, uh, almost a five-year-old and a three-year-old. The question why has not been lost in my house, right? You guys understand that. So, and so we, we make prejudices without trying to understand motive. And we see that we form opinions of other people without fully understanding their heart. We actually formulate opinions in our minds about other people without fully understanding their motives, their heart, their drive, their reason for what it is that they're doing. And this was highly evident in Jesus's ministry because the people that were the religious leaders of his day engaged in this type of bias and this type of judgment against him all the time. They were constantly at odds with the way that Jesus operated and his methodology. They didn't understand the why. So as we read today, we're going to be in Luke 15. So if you have your physical Bible, you can turn to it. If you have your digital Bible, you can flick on your phone and, you know, get the face ID going and turn, turn in you version. I like to say in the middle school service, turn with me in your phones. Yeah. Luke 15:1. Luke records this interaction with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, the, the tax collectors, the sinner, were the, the lost people, the ostracized people of Jesus' day. And, and the Pharisees and the tax collectors had all the opinions about Jesus because he hung out with these people. Because he hung out with the people that were on the fringes of the Jewish society. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to engage the Pharisees, engage the teachers of the law who had judged him so harshly, and he tells three stories in Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to briefly talk about the, the first two stories. The first one is, uh, oh, first off, I, I need you to understand, the three stories are about lost things. The three stories are about lost things. The first one's about the lost sheep. And sometimes this is called the parable of the good shepherd. Because the shepherd realizes he, he has his flock in the pen and as he's counting them, he realizes he's missing one. And so what does he do? He goes out and he searches for the sheep. And he doesn't rest until he finds it and brings it back to the fold. And then after he does, he celebrates with his friends. Now, I've never been to a shepherd party, but I imagine it is a fun time. <laughs> right? I think crook dueling is probably a part of shepherd parties. I don't know. Like, they got their long crook, shepherd crook? No? Okay, well. <laughs> then you have the story of the lost coin. And this woman loses a valuable coin. And what does she do? She deep cleans her house. She moves every single piece of furniture. She checks every floorboard. She checks every nook, cranny, crevice, crack until she finds the coin. She engages in this search for the lost coin. And when she finds it, she calls all of her coin enthusiast friends and they have a party. I, a coin party, I guess. I don't know. It, it doesn't really connect as well. Then you have the third story. It's the lost sons. And I, I petition that we should stop calling this the, the parable of the prodigal son because you'll see a little bit later that 
that there are two sons in this story. But we see that something is lost, it's found, celebration ensues. And, and this is a, a truth that we understand. If something we value is lost, we search for it. If something that we actually attribute value to is lost, we search for it. And, and if something is lost in general, we search for it. How many parents engaged in that this morning when they were just about ready to leave for church and you realize your child only had one shoe on, right? You go into crisis activate mode and you, you send all the other kids to different parts of the house to search for the missing shoe, right? And then and you, you're like, we, we're going to be late. We're going to be late. We're going to be late. We have to find it, right? We search for it. When something is lost, we search for it. Uh, you, Sam and I might have humans in our house who can be very particular about certain items, uh, like what they want to wear for church. They're just not very particular about where they keep those items, right? And so we, we have to do, sometimes we have to do the, uh, the search party for the missing cup or the missing shoe or the missing barrette. And if it's important to us and it's lost, we don't think about it. We don't debate. We don't, we don't have a conference. We go. We search. We go. We engage and move into action. So then why is Jesus telling the Pharisees and the teachers of the law these stories about lost things? Well, the audience for these parables were the people who knew the Scriptures and governed the Jewish people. The Pharisees were the people that knew the law from front to back. They knew every single jot and iota of the law. The teachers of the law, they were the people that governed the nation of Israel. They were the cultural, religious, and governmental leaders of the day. They were instructors of God's Word to His people. They were the arbiters of His will, His law, judgment, and mercy. And Jesus tells three stories about lost things to them. He emphasized the loss to them. So we're going to pick up in verse 11. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. As we go through this parable, I just want you to know, we're going to go a little bit slowly through it, take it uh, a little section at a time, and, and talk a little bit about the concepts that Jesus is explaining in this parable. Um, Jesus continued, verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. Okay, stop. See, I, I told you it was going to be a little bit slow, all right? There was a man who had two sons. This is why I think we should change this from the parable of the prodigal son to the parable of the two sons or the parable of the lost sons because there's two important factors in this parable. There was a man who had two sons. So verse 12, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. I want you to understand the the gravity of this request because uh, for some of us, we've become so familiar with this story that we don't actually think about what this younger son was asking. To me, in, in the cultural context of Jesus' day, this younger son was basically looking his father in the eye and saying, I can't wait for you to die. Because that's when inheritance was transmitted from father to son was upon death. The younger son was basically saying, I have so little value for you 
that I would, it would be better for me if you were just gone, if you were out of the picture so I could have what I want. The, the teachers of the law, the, the religious leaders would have balked at this statement because of the dishonor in that request. And yet we see the Father grants that request. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his health, health wealth in wild living. And this is where we get the word prodigal from. Prodigal simply means wastefully extravagant. Wastefully extravagant. That, that he took all that inheritance and he blew through it with wasteful, wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he took the inheritance. He became prodigal, wastefully extravagant. He lived in reckless sin for a short time, spending and spending and spending, and then realized there was nothing left to spend. And then Jesus paints an interesting picture. A young Jewish man resorting to tending pigs. Having to resort to being in servitude to a foreigner, tending an animal that was ceremoniously unclean. Jesus is painting a picture of someone who is in despair and hopelessness, someone who has hit rock bottom. This would have been a a very stark and dreary picture to the, the Pharisees who were so obsessed with being ritualistically clean, who were so obsessed with presenting themselves as, as being better or more holy than people around them. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. You see, this younger son has this epiphany that it would be better if he was the lowliest servant in his father's household than to be a servant to a foreigner. He's hit rock bottom. He's hit the point of of literally he cannot go any lower, tending pigs, wanting to eat the pods that they were being fed. And he realizes... I would rather humble myself, go back to my father, and become the lowliest servant in his household than deal with where I am right now. And maybe maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been to rock bottom, and you know what it looks like. You know what it feels like. You know what the rocks taste like because you've just been pressed down right against rock bottom. I want you to understand that that epiphany is available to you. That, that thought of turning back to the Father is always an option. You see, the, the, the Son has this realization that, that He needs to humble Himself, go back to the Father, confess His sin, and, and hope that He can enter back into the Father's household. And that's what repentance is. 
Continuing on in verse 20, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Repentance is recognizing your sin. Recognizing what it is that you have done wrong and who you have wronged. He, he acknowledges he not only sinned against his father, he sinned against heaven, he sinned against God. It's recognizing where we are, what, what is wrong in our hearts and in our minds and, and turning away from it. Fleeing it, leaving behind and going back to the Father. But listen, the Father cuts him off. He doesn't even get to finish his whole prepared speech. The Father cuts him off and says, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, if this parable was exactly like the lost sheep and the lost coin, this is where it ends. Celebration, right? And, and for me, like growing up in school, this was the emphasis as a child, the, the prodigal son, they end on the celebration, right? And, and it ties it up nicely. There's a nice little bow on it because everyone's celebrating. But I told you, verse 11, right? You see, the man had two sons. The man had two sons. Verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And at this point, the brother has a choice to make. He could absolutely go and join in the celebration. He could go into the house and celebrate with them and, and rejoice that his brother had come back. But as we see, he makes a different decision. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. There's an interesting parallel between the father's relationship and the two sons. You see, the father saw the young son a long way off and went out to meet the younger son. The father also went out to meet the older son. The father is always looking for a chance to go and pursue us. The father is always looking for the opportunity to go and meet us where we are. We have to look for the Father. We have to understand that the Father is pursuing us. Verse 29, But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And I have to confess that as I'm reading this parable, I 
I understand the older son's position a lot more in my life now than I do the younger son's position. And maybe you you recognize the older son's position too. Maybe you've grown up in the father's house, right? Maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you've even served faithfully in the kingdom of God through through mission work, through serving. Maybe you've been in the kids' ministry every single week. Maybe you even have a job working for a church as I do. You see, the older son, he grew up in the father's house. He worked faithfully for the father. And yet he missed a very important aspect of who the father is. He felt uncelebrated. He felt overlooked. He felt as if he wasn't getting the recognition that he deserved. And that had taken root in his heart as self-righteous pride. See, this part of the story is a warning to us who have the head knowledge and can perform the rituals, can perform the ceremonial aspects of church. We come to church every single week. We are faithful. But it's a warning to us to not allow self-righteous pride to take root in our hearts. Because we perform so well at church. Like, you look at your yearly performance review with God, you, you go over it, and you're like, okay, been, I've been really good this year, God. My, I, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, God, so you understand that I missed a couple Sundays. Couple, a couple. They were really good this year. God understands. But overall, yearly performance review, looking good, looking good. And so often we get caught up in this performance, this ritual of... of of performing for God and for the people around us that we lose sight of what God's heart is all about. Listen to the Father. Verse 31. My son, the Father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father pleads to the older son. What's, what's really striking to me about this as I read it is that the, younger, or the older son, everything the father owned was his. So it was technically the older son's inheritance that was throwing the party for the younger son. The father is basically saying, why aren't you celebrating with us? Why, why won't you just come into the house and celebrate the fact that your brother is found. You see, this story is about two sons. I believe that both of the sons in the parable are lost. The first was lost from reckless sin. And the second from self-righteous pride. And at some point in our life, we've probably empathized with both of those positions. Maybe we've turned away from a life of reckless sin and we understand what it means to be in rock bottom because of our own choices. Or maybe we understand of what it looks like to to be in the church faithfully serving week in, week out and feel overlooked, under-celebrated and feel like God just isn't giving us the good things that 
we think we deserve. Both of them are lost because they have not understand, understood who God is and what God wants. The younger son, he viewed himself through the lens of what he had done wrong. He, he recognized his sin, but, but he viewed himself in, in the lens of what it is that he had done wrong. The older son also viewed himself through the lens of what he had done. But to him, it became this self-righteous pride of all the things he had done correctly. What also strikes me about the three stories is that in the first two stories, when something was lost, someone went out and searched for it. I have to ask my uh, question, why didn't the older brother go out and search for his son? Not his son, his brother. Why didn't the older brother take that responsibility of going out and finding his younger brother who is lost and bringing him back to the father. I think this was a a jab at the Pharisees and teachers of the law that said, you have all the knowledge that you could have when it comes to about what God has written. But yet you are not making an effort to find the people that are lost and bringing them back to the Father. The understanding that we have from these parables is this. The teaching big idea I have today is this, that the kingdom of God is for the lost. That's what it's designed for, church. That's why we are here. It's because we once were lost and now we're found. And we have to understand that we, as Christ followers have to take on the responsibility of going and searching for the lost. That's our mission. That's what God has called us to do as Christ followers, to go and find the people that are far from God, find the people that are lost, and bring them back to the Father. We seek them out. It's the ministry of foundness. And we are only found because we understand our sin. We recognize what we justly deserve. We recognize the kingdom of God is built for the lost. And if that is not at the forefront of our heart, that we are searching and seeking out those that are lost, then we don't understand God's heart. That's why repentance is so important. Because we have to humble ourselves. We have to uh, align ourselves with this younger son's posture that says, I have sinned against you, God. But I'm leaving that behind. And I want to re-enter a relationship with you. Repentance is turning away from sin. It's coming back to the Father and re-entering into a relationship with Him. Repentance is this understanding and and recognizing of what it is that is keeping us apart from God. So we have that opportunity today to repent. We have an opportunity today to turn from our sin, to run back to the Father, to confess that sin to Him, to say, I have sinned against You, God. But I want to leave that behind. And I want to re-enter a relationship with you.
I want to accept Your compassion, Your mercy, Your grace, Your forgiveness for me today. I believe that God's heart is understood through repentance and relationship. That when we take on this this posture of, of repentance, that we begin to see who God's heart is for. Which helps us then to be more aware of the people that we have influence over to, to encourage them and inspire them to come back to God. That, that when we, we have that humble posture of repentance that God uses us in a new and, and powerful way to bring people back to Himself. So, I encourage you. Band's going to play a little bit. We're going to engage in communion, but uh, I'm going to I'm just close it in a quick word of prayer and then, then introduce communion. Take this time. As we, as we pray now, as, as the band plays, take this time to, to assess, to think about what it is that you need to leave behind today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible story of foundness. Thank you for this incredible picture of what it means to to have a heart of repentance, to leave our our sin behind us and, and to engage with you in a new and exciting way. I pray that that our hearts and our minds would just be be filled with your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness as we confess our sin to you. And as we engage with the rest of the service, that that your Holy Spirit would, would send us comfort and peace and that your Holy Spirit would move within us. Heavenly Father, we know that we have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of your glory because you are a holy and blameless and just God. We recognize that today and we we say we want to turn away from it. We want to leave that sin behind us and we want to run back to you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.